Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen-Biggs. He is Dan Morang, and we are ready to talk basketball after a week off. Dan and I have kind of a big, important confession to make. That's over the last... Okay, it's kind of hard, but you're going to help me out here. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been having an affair with the Olympics. Oh, I know. I mean, what was I supposed to do? The NBA wasn't there. And it's over. And the Olympics were there with their human interest stories, their interesting storylines, their fascinating rules. And curling. You know, I was just going to I was I was just I was going to watch a game of curling and that was going to be cool and it was going to be fun and then it was going to be over. And then I was like, OK, well, maybe I'll watch some speed skating and and that was fun. And and then suddenly before I knew it, I was like so immersed and I like had completely forgotten about the NBA And I was just doing all these crazy things like staying up all night watching cross-country skiing. And as you know, I went down to uh, Utah. And you might remember that the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, were in Park City in 2002. So I went to the Winter Olympic Park. And I got the tour of where they do all – they did all the, the training for the ski jumping and the luge. They're called the sliding sports. That's, you know, for people who are not as into the Olympics as I am. I saw the bob the bobsled track and where they do the skeleton. And, and I was up at the top of the K-120. So the K-120 is the 120-meter ski jump. And I went all the way up to the top of it. And I stepped out to the edge, and I was looking down 120 meters to the bottom and you of said, the nah. – And I was like, I need to just take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like – I looked at this tour guide, and she was amazing, and she was telling us all these great stories. And I was like, I love her. She and I could do a podcast. It would be amazing. It would be all about the Winter Olympics. And then I was just like, no, I have got to get a hold of myself. The NBA has – always been there for me. They've never disappointed me. Yeah. Sometimes they take a little time off in the middle of the season. And then there's a couple weeks in September where they go off and they do their own thing. But by and large, the NBA always delivers for me. So I was really lucky that I was able to, after having this big epiphany and like freaking out over the fact that I'd almost like, you know, dumped the NBA for the winter Olympics, I got to go to the game in Utah and watch the trailblazers end the Utah winning streak. And it was glorious. Mm, I don't know. I mean, sure. Fun, exciting, adventurous, but I, I gotta, I gotta be on brand here. You still went to Utah <laughs> in the winter. No, it was just, I, I was, I was just caught up in the moment, um, and I needed to get back to my roots, and I needed to go, and I needed to see the guys from Oregon, and I need to, needed Were to your sit roots around covered a bunch in snow? of snow. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a little snowy, but it was also snowy in Portland. So it wasn't like I was that out of my element. I was like snow on the TV day and night, snow in Portland, snow oh. in Utah. I was like fully immersed. I mean, what was I supposed to do? There wasn't any snow in Los Angeles where the NBA um, All-Star Weekend was taking place. They were off in like sunny L.A. So like what was I glorious, supposed to do? I was left there all sun. by myself. I had to make do. Yeah, you know, I I do enjoy the Winter Olympics. I was probably less into these Winter Olympics than really any I think I could I've been around for in my adult life. There was nobody like it really really piqued my interest. There was no um, like Sean White wasn't like coming onto the scene and snowboarding wasn't making its debut, which is you know something I I, I love. Or uh, Apollo Anton Ono out there just. You know the 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 driving force behind it. like the face of the Winter Olympics this year was kind of like it it went from like a bunch of different people and there wasn't like one really really strong story that like, seemed to carry like the overarching tone of the Olympics at least from the USA perspective um, at least for me. Well, there were there were well, some, there were some cool stories. The women's relay cross country finish, did, which I was did. just the most amazing thing. <laughs> uh, that was. But cool. here's here's why I've been enjoying watching the Olympics and what the NBA wasn't giving me over All Star break. The thing about the Olympics is people are there to compete, and All Star break those activities are all an exhibition and I was ready to get back to competitive whoa, 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 basketball, whoa, whoa. which I, I thought was, you would be proud of me. Yeah, about. I was going to say I thought we were just all here to have fun, Tara. <laughs> we are here to have fun, but I I gained a new appreciation, I think, of um, you know the extra effort, the competitive that goes spirit. into more than just like demonstrating something and you know showing how great you like the All Star, you know, activities are all about like showing how great and you know corroborating what we've all been saying about yeah, so and so is an All Star and they go out and they you know they do their demonstration or whatever their exhibition, um, but at the Olympics they were like actually competing right there. And so it was really great to get back to that and to uh, go to uh, in, into enemy territory and just what a satisfying victory. The guy behind us was not really very excited to have people from Portland sitting in front of him. But I think we did a pretty good job of behaving ourselves, you know, especially since we totally could have gloated. I bet in that situation you probably been, would have been a little bit more vocal than I was. You know what, though? I Honestly, at Away Arenas, I, I typically make fan, uh, make friends with the home team's. Uh, fans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty objective. Um, I mean, you've sat down mm-hmm. and watched games with me before. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I'm a big proponent of when the Blazers get away with something, yelling very loudly. Wow, they got away with that. <laughs> you know, it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where um, I, I've actually in, in, in my past year in Portland, I've had some visiting fans. Um, I particularly had one guy who came to every Dallas game for like four or five years. Who we went back and forth every single game, but in like the most fun possible way. I, I, I think those interactions are actually something that I've really enjoyed uh, being a Blazers fan over the last few years. And Jazz fans, for the most part, um, from at least from my interaction, have been have been pretty cool. But I, I have to ask you though. So yeah, they did, were extremely friendly. What did you think of the Jazz jersey court combination in person? So I really, really like the jerseys. I like the short or the shirts, especially I'm not really wild about the shorts. I don't like mm. the big, I don't really like the segue from the shirts into the shorts, but the, the uh, floor is really cool. Cause it's got, 
you know, the arch mm -hmm. on it, which is really beautiful. And it's beautifully blended with the jerseys. I don't really understand them. But, you know, there's a lot of people who really don't like the jerseys, and I don't really understand that because I think they're really pretty. Like I said, not really wild about the shorts, but uh, I, I thought they looked great. And it was a really – it was a nice arena. It was a big arena. It was, like, super clean. There was lots of room to run, mm -hmm. you know, to move around and stuff. It was, um, it was really nice. And you know what? So when we first got there, we were standing out in front, like, trying to take our own picture. And this uh, really tall, super well-dressed, very handsome guy comes up to us, and he's, like, obviously, like, a broadcaster or something. And he says, would you like me to take your picture? And I was like – I would love that. And I know that I should know who you are, but we're from out of town. Can you tell I bet you, you work for the team. You know, can you tell me who you are? And it was Thurl Bailey. Mm. And so that was super exciting. And he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, I, I know you guys from Portland. Jerome Kersey was one of my really good friends. He's like, I've been up there to see him a bunch. And Duckworth was one of my really good friends. And he was so nice and he spent all this time like taking our picture and getting it just right. And even, and then I was like, well, you should get in the picture with us. And he got a call in the middle of it. And it was clearly somebody saying like, Hey, where are you? When are you going to be there? And he was like, yeah, I'm out here talking to some Portland fans, taking their picture. We're getting our picture taken I do now. What I want. <laughs> It was really funny. So he was really great. He was like a like a show host, kind of like the the Jordan Kent Michael Holton show. Mm -hmm. He he had that role. So that was kind of a highlight. The, that the was really fun. Individual role. But so, <laughs> but let's talk about the game. What do you think the Blazers and Blazer fans can take away from the Blazers beating the Utah Jazz and ending their winning streak? Um. Uh... I think the this is something we, we we touched on you know heading or coming out of the break was um, we knew we were going to play the Jazz so Portland has a big win against Utah and you can say oh they can springboard that into the break and Utah's won eleven straight oh they're going to carry that momentum in the break the only one those two the only thing those two two teams carried into that game was a massive ten game hang or ten day hangover they they both <laughs> looked absolutely awful coming out of the gates. Neither team wanted to play offense. Neither team wanted to play defense. And there were, there were opportunities abounded for anybody to want to take advantage of them. And the most surprising character, maybe of them all, to take advantage of that was Maurice Harkless. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was absolutely electric. And his box score isn't going to just blow you away other than the steals perhaps with six steals yeah. i think that's pretty impressive that five would blow the, me away five in the first half yeah i mean which which was fantastic but it even the even if you just take the number away his raw energy and his contribution mm -hmm. um just being a complete pain in the neck in the passing lanes hounding the ball mm -hmm. uh, ball handlers uh running the floor just like, he was doing things that you expect mo harkless to do and it, there, part of me was sitting there like it, it was it just like the stark contrast of what you expect him to do. Like that shouldn't have been such a sharp contrast from what from what you expect, right? The the box score contribution is 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 nice, and that's that's an added bonus. But you expect Maurice Harkless to be the energy guy, to make the hustle play, to run the floor, because that's what mm -hmm. Maurice Harkless does. And I was thankful that that was there, mm -hmm. but I was frustrated that I hadn't seen it for basically fifty games. Because you can't enjoy nice things. You no. have to just, you know, be miserable about them. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> so man, you liked what he something. did. You just yeah. don't like that he hadn't done it earlier. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because, I mean, if, if right. Harkless has been that guy all season, we aren't sitting here talking about these 
these uh, lineup issues or, you know, juggling things back and forth. And I mean, his, he's very dynamic. So when do you he's think doing him back in the starting lineup is, has been the change, the, you know, the catalyst it's, for, it's a big we've, part of we've it. definitely seen him more active, but I mean, the, the biggest part of this is, and, and I, I can't overstate this enough is that Damian Lillard is playing like the best player in Portland Trailblazer basketball history. His his last mm-hmm. five games have been something that I haven't seen from anyone in this franchise, literally ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, Out he, of this he, world. He's, he's scored more points in the past five games than any Trailblazer ever. And he's done so with mm-hmm. the, the only game that he's str- quote-unquote struggled in is the Utah game where everyone looked like crap. Like, nobody... He ended up with... <laughs> 24. What, like... He had, did he have less than 20? Oh, he had 24. 24. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, his bad game was 24. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. The dude has just been absolutely... I mean, I, I put this up on Twitter last night, and it went kind of wild, but... Last five games for Damian Lillard. 50, 39, 44, 24, and 40. Mm-hmm. That's just nuts... I mean, if you look at him over yeah, the last five games. more than any games, NBA player this year. Yeah, more more points than scored than in, the, in a five-game stretch than any player this year, more than a five-game stretch than in the entire 48-year history of the Portland Trailblazers. And just to put this in perspective, it's not just the, the total points that he scored. It's how he's gone about doing it. He Over the last five okay. games, he's averaging Elaborate. 39.4 points, 4.6 assists, 4.2 rebounds. 1.4 steals. So the box score stats are nuts, but he's doing it on, on over 51% from the field, 38% from three, 93% from the free throw line. He's getting 12 free throws a game. Mm-hmm. 12. The only guy wonder, doing more is, is Harden. Leading. Harden, okay. Harden is legitimately at 12.0. So, Damien's at 11.6. I mean, he's so I know I know you're really excited about Damien and I want to talk about him more. But what I want to kind of explore is whether or not is is Damien doing this because there's no other options and he has to do this or is he doing it because partly for that reason, but also because there are some things that the the rest of the team has figured out to put him in a position and that's just become a thing is that Damien's just going to have to be our leading scorer. So I guess the difference would be is like, is he just like doing Westbrook and like doing everything that he possibly can. And just if he has to, to put passing it out to somebody, or is he still also doing this in the context of trying to make everybody better as well? And are they stepping up to do that? As is, as, as I want to do the answer here is yes. <laughs> it's both. Okay. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. Damien has said he's going to make a conscious effort to not be passive and not let the game come to him. He's going to dictate games. And this mm-hmm. is what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's doing everything. He's I mean, the, the free throws are huge. Getting downhill and getting the free throw mm-hmm. line at, at this rate is... If, if he's a 10-plus free throw a game guy, he's a top 10 player in the NBA because of the pressure mm-hmm. that that puts on opposing defenses. Um, his assist totals mm-hmm. have gone down, but he's shooting so well. Like, if he shot 49% on the season and took 
the shots that he's taking now, he would be, a, again, a top 10 player in the league. And he continues, he's ticking all these boxes right now. When he said the other day that he considers mm-hmm. himself to be, you know, I think I'm one of the top point guards in the league, and Dwayne Wade said, hey, take that I think off there. You're a bad dude. Mm-hmm. Yes, Damian Lillard is not as good as Steph Curry, the greatest shooter in NBA history. Yes, he's not mm-hmm. as good as Kevin Durant, arguably the most – Not du- as good <laughs> at shooting or just completely? What do you mean? Like What, as, as Steph Curry? Steph you- Curry is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, that, that's right. – that okay. Dame's not on that level. That That's fine, okay. though. Like, Steph Curry is legitimately the greatest shooter in NBA history right now. I mean, that's I, – okay. I, I don't think anybody's going to debate that. Um, and what he can do with the ball and setting up his teammates and the guys he has around him is it's otherworldly. You get a guy like Kevin Durant, who um, is the most dynamic seven footer as far as scoring is concerned. You've got LeBron James, um, the best or second or third best player in NBA history. And so when people say, oh, he's he's not up there with the best in the league right now. Well, no crap. <laughs> so he's right, not up we've there. We've got some historically yeah. good players. You've got some guys. Right Steph, LeBron, and KD. When it's all said and done, all three of them will probably finish as top fifteen players in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And two of these guys are on the same damn team. Yeah, <laughs> but I had somebody right. the other day say that that tell me that uh, Clay Thompson was in the same breath as as Damian Lillard. No, no, he's not. Not even close. He's, he's well, Clay Thompson's yeah, a damn good shooter. Like, that's that's what Clay in Thompson what arena is. you're talking about. I mean, we, I mean, it ta- depends on what arena you're talking about. Like, da- are you talking about Damian just as straight up a player, or can yeah, you, I'm talking and about can as a you player. separate that out from him as like everything, all the other intangibles that he brings to the game? Clay Thompson is is a great player. I, I'm not taking shots at Clay Thompson by any shape, matter, or form, but he is not on Damian Lillard's level. Damian Lillard mm-hmm. in what he has shown, not just with his um, scoring ability, but how he dictates the pace of the game. Like what we saw the other night against Phoenix, and we'll get to the Phoenix game. That that's the kind of thing that very, very, very few players in NBA history can just do. Can just take over a game, and if, and if, let's not act like that's the first time that we've seen that from him. Dame time is mm-hmm. a thing. It, it's not just some meme. Yeah, like it's it's a, it's, it's a real thing. He has mm-hmm. the innate ability that two or three guys every generation have to just take over a game and win it single-handedly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people are fine. Like, yeah, everybody talks about Dame, ta- Dame time, but I think people are starting to realize that when Dame's on the floor, it's always Dame time. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the attitude that, that Damian Lillard himself is starting to project. You and I have talked about this in the past, the difference between stars and superstars. Damian Lillard's, I don't want to say it, like, it's corny, but it's, it's, it's what kind of works here. His aura on the floor right now, like the way that he carries himself on the floor and the way that other dudes around the league look at him right now is not as a star. It's as a superstar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like there's, there's a certain air that he is carrying right now, a swagger, uh, whatever you want to call it, that just emanates from him and and guys can see it like op- opponents fear it and his teammates thrive on it you, you can see the guys mm-hmm. rally around him and i think that's why you see a maurice harkless do what he did the other night it's why i think you've seen a rejuvenated yusuf nurkic it's why i think you're seeing that this this better overall feel from the team 
is because they're just feeding off everything that Damian Lillard is projecting out there. And it's not just the scoring. It's it's just how he dictates the pace of play. And that's that's a seriously, seriously rare thing to have in a player. And that I think people need to take a step back and really appreciate not just his accolades and what he's done, but the way that he's conducting himself on the floor. On, uh, this is going to sound, again, corny as hell, but like almost on an ethereal level. Like what he is doing is just nuts. Okay, so by dictating the pace of play, can you be more specific? Like, you know, the actual speed of the game? The or speed of the game. Do you when, mean more than that? Where, yeah, when and where he attacks, how he attacks, knowing that I, if I'm Damian Lillard and, and the, the, what I see from him on the floor, I know that in the late game situation, Phoenix is going to try to send three or four guys to the boards here. Uh, to the defensive boards to secure this rebound, and nobody's going to worry about me coming in to try to grab an offensive rebound off a shot from the corner. Damian Lillard <laughs> comes in out of nowhere, jumps over everyone, and packs it on every one of their souls. Including Ed Davis. <laughs> I mean, just bunnies for days. But that's, that's knowing and dictating because he understands that nobody's worried about getting a body on Damian Lillard right now. Which is kind of funny because he finished with ten rebounds. Somebody you would think somebody mm-hmm. would want to get a, a body on him since you know he was rebounding like a maniac the other night. Um, knowing so, that if Damian is playing so incredible, how come he doesn't get triple doubles? When and this is something I, I've I've thought about a lot. Like he's a guy that when he's scoring, he's scoring. When he's assisting, he's assisting. Like. The games where Damian Lillard has high assist nights, he's dictating the, the game by his playmaking. When he has the, the scoring nights, he's dictating the night by his scoring. I, I think he gets in a groove of one or the, one or the other, and it's not, it's not and, it's always or. And is it exaggerating to say that there are other ball handlers? I mean, do are I mean because you know you do have CJ who can get a pass here and there. The, you do have other guys who can make the passes, but that's probably not really part of it, is it? No, I, I think it. And on, on those nights, like even though Dame has been phenomenal, like these 50, they shooting fifty one percent in every one of these games, um, he's had a. To, when he gets in these grooves, he has a shot or two when you're just sitting there going, what the hell was that? <laughs> well, like, like the heat mean, check of heat checks. And you're just like, you live with like, it, though. Right. Like the whole first three quarters of the Phoenix game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> there was a lid he, on that bucket, man. I mean, well, they were Nobody what, could get it They in. were what? Three for, three for 26 from three? They were they were 7% for a while, it and was, then they, they doubled it to 14% for yeah, a while. I mean, Dame... And that was well into the third. I mean, I think he was 0 for 7 from three, and they were, like, it, but the vast majority of them were good looks. I, I will admit, um, I, I was out to dinner with my girlfriend. I was at the coast at Cannon Beach. I, I gotta explain this story because this will, some people love this. Um, apparently, Cannon Beach doesn't have <laughs> the a Blazers package at any sports bar, restaurant, or... Uh, building in that city. Um, so I brought my, my girlfriend allowed me to bring my laptop to dinner, uh, the nice steak dinner that we had. And uh, I was able to stream the Blazers game. Um, and it, in between uh, the meal being delivered, uh, I lost track in the third quarter. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's, there's, there's a piece of the game that I have not watched because I just got home a little bit ago. Um, but 
Again, shout out to That's my girlfriend awesome. for, for letting me yes. and allowing and actually even suggesting that I bring my laptop to dinner because the people in the restaurant, there was two she reactions. She knew it was going to be an issue anyway. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, the, the reactions that I got in the restaurant were, were kind of funny because there were people that were like, what the hell is he doing? And the other people were like, hey, what's the score? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, and you were there. You were providing a public service. Exactly. So, um, well, it was it was entertaining to say the least. But like, but I wanted to hit on this on the pace of play thing real quick because I think this is important when we're talking about the 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 idea of what Damian Lord's been doing. He appears to be a, a page ahead in the playbook. Like he knows what teams want to do to hmm. him, and he's countering okay. their counter already. Like that's that's. Like that's like he's when you talk about a, a player's peak, it's it's not just that their physical peak. It's it's the time when the mental aptitude and the physical abilities combine to make the peak. And I think we're and seeing that's when that they say right the game slows so, down. Exactly, right? the game slows down, and he's a step ahead while he has the ability to take advantage of that. And I think we're start. He's, he's unlocking that right now. Can you think of an example of? a play or something that that you can recall that Damian did that was a reaction to something like that? Like, yeah, did absolutely. Utah play him a certain way? Uh, Utah and Phoenix both did the same thing. They, they, they try to trap and send him to the baseline. And Damian Lillard, when, when they trap too early, because with Phoenix especially, because they're a young team, even though they're long and aggressive, the timing isn't there. Like, um, Danny Green. Danny Green's a perfect example with the Spurs. Danny Green knows how to double perfectly. He knows, like, when to look for the, whoever's doubling, you know, he waits for that guy to, to look away or to hesitate or to turn his head ever so slightly. So he can't make the reaction that extra half a second that he gets to get there before the, the ball handler can react. Damian Lillard is seeing that early and understanding where opponents want to push him on the floor. And he isn't allowing that to happen. He's making either the early, like a, on a, on a pick and roll with Nurkic the pick and roll starts coming, and he realizes that uh, against Utah or Phoenix uh, that they're looking to trap early. So he's waving Nurkic off. If, if, if you've noticed lately, he'll put his hand up like, nope, 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 nope. They're bringing that. So let's go ahead and do this instead. So he starts so to like attack. Nurkic makes a move to come up, and, yep. and Damian sees that and waves him off, says, no, we're going to do something different. Yeah, he, he allows Nurkic to kind of sit up high, and then all of a sudden the big that was coming out is like, well, I, I, now I'm caught in no man's land. And mm-hmm. and Nurkic now he and this is a credit to Nurkic and we something we talked about a few weeks ago understanding that slipping that pick and roll Nurk understands too that mm-hmm. he sees what Dame sees now oh they're gonna trap here they're they're trying to get up high now Nurk slides a little behind and now the defense is off balance and now Damian Lillard has somebody one on one and maybe he was looking to press and now he's not pressing and he's backing off a little bit and Dame can either get downhill pull up or create the action off for, for himself. And really, option A, mm-hmm. B, or C there has been yes, yes, and yes, as far as like what's been successful for him. How does he manage to get to that? You know that one spot on the floor, the spot where he took everywhere above the break the on the left or right no, side. No, there's that one spot that he took where he took that Houston shot. That is oh, yeah, the his left, the left spot wing. on the floor. And if I and if I was an opposing team, I would just be like, do anything, but do not let him get to that spot. What is it that he's doing that's getting him to that spot? Is it, is it an example of like what you were just talking yeah, it's about? Setting the angles. Um, it's something we talked about years uh-huh. ago. Um, Dave and I, I go, why does anybody let him get there? Yeah, no, Dave and I <laughs> talked about it and you and I have talked about this and, and, and it's about the defensive side of things. 
The one thing that I always questioned about Damian Lillard's defensive acumen and ability that always confounded me was offensively in the pick and roll particularly, he's unbelievably good and, and has a natural feeling and inclination for setting angles, putting defenders into screens the right way. Uh, okay. Second Spectrum put a stat out the other day and the, the player tracking machine learning uh, database is now backing up a lot of what the NBA.com stats are going to be going forward. Um, that basically every time you, you get caught by a screen when you're guarding Damian Lillard, mm-hmm. he's basically the purest or best shooter in the NBA from the three-point line. Like if, if you if so you if get he caught can or get go his under, defender caught yep, on the screen, you're done. He's the has the highest probability of making it. Yep. Or his his number his, his shot his shot SQ is the highest uh, <laughs> above average. So the the baseline because I can picture in my mind a lot of times in, in right in that area a, a player from the other team in that little airplane stance, you mm-hmm. know, where they're trying to trying to make it. Through they're trying to they turn that stuck. corner. Yep. Or, I mean, yeah, yeah, and they throw their arms up like an airplane going around a corner. And because of what Damien's been doing, again, this comes back to full circle here, uh, about getting to the free throw line. He's been so deadly at, at getting, taking, and making free throws lately that these guys aren't just going to go over the screen. Like, normally, you just, with, a, with a shooter, you just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go over and live with the end result if he gets to that mid-range spot. Dame's getting and going downhill. Like he's getting to the free throw line. So mm-hmm. these guys are like, nah, I can't put my big in a bad position. I've got to fight through this screen. Well, Yusuf Nurkic is out there setting big man screens. Like even if Nurk sets like the weakest screen that, that Nurkic can set, it's still better than 80% of the league because he's just a big dude. Like he, not mm-hmm. only that, Nurkic is getting damn good at setting those god awful moving picks. Like, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they are Andrew Bogut, Kevin Garnett masterpieces. Yeah. Just mwah! And I know I'm, I mean, if the yeah. NBA is going to keep letting him do it, then let him do it. What drives me nuts is when he gets called for a moving screen that isn't the moving screen. It's like, come on, man. If you're going to call him for one, right. call him when for he's the, done so many other. Yeah, nice ones. like, like <laughs> if you're going to call him for one, call him for the actual moving screen, not the one where he just he just happened to separate some dude's jaw who wasn't paying attention. Um, How did you think Nurkic uh, did against Rudy Gobert uh, uh, on? Uh, Whatever night that was on Friday, um, I mean, back Rudy Gobert forth. is a spectacular player. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel like Nurkic uh, defended him or attacked him on both instances? Yeah, you could find um, cases where uh, Nurkic was both fantastic and instances where he was downright awful. But I think that's kind of like you know Nurkic mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Like he had some plays where he just absolutely beat the crap out of Rudy Gobert. I mean, just muscled him around, got to his spots, um, didn't let Gobert get to where he wanted to uh, on offense or defense. And then there were times where he just threw the most atrocious junk I've ever seen up and <laughs> let Gobert get wherever he wanted to. And I was just like, Rudy, if you or, or Yusuf, so, if you could not do that, I would be just thrilled. <laughs> but I mean, his, his stat line was nice: fifteen, seven, three blocks. Field goal percentage over the last yeah. month has been much better. Um, I mean, you look at, at oh, Gobert's. Oh, that's good to hear. Oh, no, his, his, his numbers have been great lately. I mean, you think about Rudy Gobert and his stat line and like, how he impacts a game. So here's, here, I mean, obviously I already gave you Nurkic's, but here, Gobert's stat line was 15, 9, and 4. I mean, which one here is is the guy that's, you know, really impacting the game? 
their, their stat lines are almost identical. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would think say I figured th- out one of the keys to Nurkic and, you know, you like, may be we'll honest probably, always at, what? Yeah. So the, here's what, here's my theory. And I'm like partly joking, but I think there's a kernel of truth to it. I think Nurkic plays better when he's in foul trouble and I think they should send him out and he should get like three quick fouls and just establish himself. Like just come in there and get fouls and, because when he's in foul trouble, he seems to play more carefully and he seems to make he's better woke. choices. And what? <laughs> that's I don't think that's how you use that word, Dan. Yeah, I, I, don't, I know. I don't think that works. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. Um, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's very, very self-aware. But, you know, so I was I was running this by uh, Mr. Team Mom, and I was telling him that I was all hot about how uh, you know, Nurkic needs to come in and he needs to get three quick fouls, and then in the beginning of the second half, he needs to come in and get one more so that he's always, like, you know, got that hanging over him. And Charlie was like, well, do you really just want him in there coming in there and making fouls, or do you want him coming in there and not being afraid of making fouls? And I was like, well, that would be nice. And since the Blazers are working with a referee who can work with him to figure out, like, you've got six fouls. You might as well use them and use them wisely and use them in a way where you can establish dominance, but you're not going to be getting called for flagrants. But you can be in there telling people, I own this area, and you need to either stay out of it or he know if you're coming in it, you're going to get, get mauled. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, so, he got Gobert into a technical foul. Like that, the, uh-huh. the what led to Gobert getting a technical was was um, Yusuf absolutely grabbing, holding, pushing, shoving, and manhandling Gobert under the rim with no call. There were there was a sequence mm-hmm. where um, they they were and honestly I wouldn't call it either way. Um, I, I anybody's ever heard me rant about officials before. Um, Stuff inside yeah, between. Yeah, we're not the, turning this no, into no, no. A, a, the, an official's rant. The the stuff inside between two seven foot, like near three hundred pound human beings, unless there's a severe advantage gained by one party, you just let it all go. I mean, mm-hmm. if 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 you really want to understand what it's like in there, just spend the game watching nothing but the interior play. Don't watch the ball at all. Mm-hmm. Watch the hand fighting, the mm-hmm. grabbing, the pushing, the holding. These guys, they hook each other's arms every single possession. They grab each mm-hmm. other's jerseys every single possession. They push each other in the back every single possession. You know why Ed Davis gets called every single game for pushing somebody in the back? It's because he does it every single possession. <laughs> <laughs> he does it every possession. He just doesn't get caught. That's that's the thing. Right. It's like so but Nurkish knows that Rudy doesn't like to get pushed around. So what does he do? He pushes him around. And I do appreciate mm-hmm. that about Nurkic. And we've talked about that a million times. He's an irritating SOB. Like he knows how to get under people's skin. But but he doesn't attack the rim viciously. You know, I mean, yeah. he'll, do the, he'll, he'll push somebody around on defense, but he doesn't do it on offense. And I think come in there with a, with an, <laughs> making an offensive foul. That's like, you know, knocking everybody out of your way because you won't let anything stand in between you and that basket. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, for, for Nurkic, and this is kind of something I wanted to hit on to, to shout him out a little bit for the month of February, he's putting up almost uh, 13 and nine um, over two assists. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Two blocks. Here's the key. 
52% from the field. That's still not fantastic, but that's not screwing okay. them off that 44% crap that we had. Like, that's that's more respectable. If he if, mm-hmm. if we had 54% uh, a year Nurkic, I, I, that, I can live with that because he takes some dumb shots. And with dumb shots come low percentages. Mm-hmm. Um if, if he just ratcheted that yeah, up a and little what's bit, with the long good. mid-range shots he's been taking he's, the he's, last he's, couple games? He's pulling that one back out. Maybe <laughs> like, he's feeling a little frisky. Like, where are these coming from? Yeah, he, hit, well, he hit one, <laughs> well, and he think, badly missed another one the other night. And I was like, yikes. Uh, he hit one each night, at least one each night. Yeah, no, I and mean. And they he, were the kind where, like, if he just stepped one more step back, he would have been, like, right on the three-point yeah, line. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's the, it's the, it's the yeah, it's still a little more special. his way back. Yeah. Well, for, for Nurkic, you know, he, you know that he's, like, a real puzzle to me. And you know I've had a really hard time uh, enjoying watching him play because he's an you onion never know with what's going to show different layers, Terry. Up. Right, exactly. Well, and so I'm trying to kind of figure out like what's what you know what's what is engaged Nurk. What does engaged Nurk look like? So we got to slap him, and we got to get him in foul trouble. <laughs> and then he he needs to get in foul trouble. Okay. No, but so like I was trying to figure out like how can you say what like what how how can you look at the stats and go oh yeah Nurk was was engaged that night. He had a good night. So I think the a couple of telling things are when he has a double double. He's often yeah, engaged, no, and especially when night. he has a double double, and he has four or more personal fouls. Um, that's get, kind of my like, okay. Nurkic yeah. came to play that night. Yeah, that's if he's actually got a, a great double, barometer. Or four or more. You know how I like a rubric, Dan. Yeah, no, that that is. You know? that, I mean, <laughs> I like honestly, to have boxes to check off. Yeah, no, honestly, that, that's a that's a great barometer because when he gets and here's the thing about what he's been doing lately. Um, he's he's doing this in 26 minutes a night. Oh. Like, he's not playing mm-hmm. 35, 36 minutes. Like he's not playing traditional starter minutes. He's playing, like, sixth-man average minutes. I mean, if you look around the, the league at the top centers, they're they're playing 10 more minutes a game than he is. So you're getting well, 13 and, then, and 9 from him on 52% from the field, and he's mixing it up inside, getting you a few blocks, getting you a few stills, pushing somebody to the ground, drawing an offensive foul, just being a, a jackass – but being an effective <laughs> jackass, um, I mm-hmm. think that's a good thing. Right. And I, I, I've looked at his, how many times he had four or more personal fouls. So in the, all the games they played, there's been 22 times where he had four or more personal fouls, including one time where he fouled out six of those were double doubles and five of those six were wins. So I was like, aha, yeah, that's no, where we go. You're legitimately <laughs> onto something thing here. I, I, I think you, I think so we'll you track nailed that. that. Um, so, so my, the plan is send him in to get three, uh, three fouls right away. And then one more at the beginning of the third. And that's, that'll give us an engaged nerd. I have one other idea uh, to make sure everybody else is paying attention. Um, and this isn't, this one's not going to surprise you either. Early in the game, you need an, End to end, a Minu dribble drive with a, a finishing in the basket. My Do favorite we get to play moment the Benny Hill of that. Music of the top? <laughs> it wakes everybody up. I'm just saying, it makes everybody go, "What's going on here?" My favorite part of that Jazz game was he had a dribble drive. For he like got it, got the rebound, dribbled it all the way up, gets into the paint, kind of hesitates because he figures like someone's probably going to come mm-hmm. and guard him, and they don't, and so he takes the euro step they, and he gets the bucket. Yeah, they're like, nah, man, this one's on you. But after that, everyone was like, 
Well, okay, here we go. So I think, you know, we need to get uh, end-to-end Aminu dribble drive and then Nurkic in foul trouble, and I think everything is starting to fall into place for the Blazers for the rest of the season. That's my that's my theory. Speaking of falling into place, looks like the Timberwolves are probably going to fall out of place here. God, what an awful, awful season for stars in the Northwest Division. Got Jimmy oh. Butler's got a, got a torn meniscus. You've got Bogey Cousins with a torn Achilles. I'm afraid to even say it out loud. Uh, I'm so Paul afraid. Millsap. I'm afraid to, to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, Paul Millsap. Like, every, like, the Blazers have just been so damn lucky. And people come up, well, Amina was nicked up and Dame was nicked up. No, listen, like, the Blazers have, for the second year in a row, had some unbelievably good luck with injuries. And right. I mean, there's definitely been player time. There's definitely been player time lost to injuries, but we are we haven't had a catastrophic injury to a star. Yeah, and we're not going to. And Dan, every every other team to. in this division has had one. I had somebody challenge me on the Roberson thing um, for OKC. I don't think anybody anybody who who thinks that Roberson isn't like entirely crucial to what the Thunder do. Just go ahead and look at their record without him. He's yeah. he's and, huge. It's like the Blazers without a menu, except you know times ten. Because Roberson right. was, before he went down, if not Defensive Player of the Year, top two or three for Defensive Player of the Year candidates. Like he, What he was doing was... Okay, so speaking of Roberson, if people haven't uh, listened to it before, they should check out uh, Rob Mahoney's podcast called The Breakaway. And he did one about Andre Roberson, and it was super fascinating. It was like, um, the topic was uh, like addition by subtraction, or it was, uh, oh, here it is. How does the NBA an NBA team replaced irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it talked about his, uh, you know, what he brings to the team that, you know, isn't measured in stats and everything. And I think they started making it before he got injured. And then it took a different uh, tone after the injury happened. But anyway, it was fascinating. Um, look at an injured player, but I don't want to talk about injured players anymore. Cause I don't want to jinx anybody else. I just am Knock so worried about. Yeah. So, so worried about every, mm. all the players. I mean, like, I mean, how much, I know it kind of goes back to the like you know the the good losses and bad wins and you know harkens back to when the Blazers made it to the second round of the playoffs but everybody keeps you know couching it in oh but everybody was injured and you know it's it's just it's a brutal race right now going on in yeah it, it greatly the improved the, the I mean Jimmy Butler going down greatly improved the Trailblazers chances. I mean, I, that's just the reality of it. It sucks. But is for, that going to take? Is that going to take away from anything that you know? You've been talking about Damian Lillard's stellar play. Is yeah. that going to take anything away from what the Blazers are doing if other teams have injuries and the Blazers don't? Um, if I mean, they that, went into the playoffs against the Timberwolves, about, <laughs> no, I'm saying if, if they went against into the playoffs against the Timberwolves, I think it would be a, certainly a relevant topic, much like it was against the Clippers. Um, mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler has been one of the best players in the entire league this year um, and Portland seeing it firsthand as he has absolutely eviscerated them twice. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think that that would be huge if we got to that point, but I I don't think we're, we're there yet. Um, But I I mean, I think it does improve Portland's like chances of making the playoffs by about 10% because not only does that hurt Minnesota, I think it makes things much more, um, Toxic, I would say, uh, as far as like what could what could happen down the stretch. You know, what a, do you mean a, toxic? A, a team uh, a volatile is probably the word that's probably a, a better choice there. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, Minnesota's not a, you know on a lock to win some certain games. Maybe a team like Utah, who 
wouldn't you wouldn't pick to win on the road. Now you might. Uh, same could be said mm-hmm. with Denver. Like the, there's so many more things that could happen now um, when you're taking away a top tier talent like that. That it's it's very very difficult to make it through. But I guess what the like uncomfortable question that I'm asking is, is does it take anything away from Portland's achievements when everybody, if they played Minnesota in the first round, the game is part of it. I mean, so, so say a team makes it all the way through to the conference finals because the other team had bad luck. I mean, do we just say that? Well, you know, they just got there because of luck. Does it take away I mean, I guess yeah, if you I mean, look at a did. team like the the Dallas Mavericks who won the championship, I mean, like it just seems so unfair that you that somebody you know could you know achieve and win. You know what it's like? I'm going to bring the Olympics back. It's like you know the guys oh, in the 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 speed skaters who everybody crashes and they're the only ones standing, and so they cross the line and get the silver or the gold because they're the only ones left. Like. I don't know. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's like yeah. I don't want to take away the from their is, achievement though, based on we other people's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, that, like, that, that's just can... what we did there. I mean, we, we yeah, they beat the Clippers, and yeah, the Blazers packaged that up as marketing and marketed that as, hey, they made it to the second round. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers featuring Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan with a little asterisk there, not actually featuring Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. You know, mm-hmm. um, we definitely took that but is away. It the, only the Blazers who run up against teams in those kinds of situations. No, it's happened. All, it's happened plenty of times. But it, you always have to keep that in context. Now, if they made a miraculous run where they made it, okay. Now, if they made it to the NBA Finals, let's put it this way: um, the Philadelphia 76ers when they had Allen Iverson, they got absolutely destroyed by the Lakers. Right? Okay. Um, was that? Did anybody say? Did anybody give the 76ers credit for making it there, or did they just say, "Oh, they're in the Eastern Conference and they made it"? Really, we saw the, the title game between, you know, Portland and Los Angeles, or mm-hmm. you know, a year later with the Lakers and Sacramento. I mean, that that's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, the team from the East made it, but they didn't really make it. Nobody cared because the the hurdles they had to jump over they were not as severe and they weren't as. Um, difficult as what the other teams had to now granted you still have to take advantage of those of those situations but i think if you're handicapping a team um in multiple rounds by missing star players yeah you're gonna reevaluate that and you're gonna take you're you're gonna deduct points for 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 success there and it's the difference like you said like the difference between a, a, a bad win and a good loss was that was the phoenix game a a good win or a bad win? Uh, I'd put it under the bad win column, but like the, I, the saving grace is you get to see what Damian Lillard's truly capable of. Um, I didn't yeah. think the Blazers played too terribly, and I thought the Suns played better, but the talent discrepancy, the, the ability to execute um, what you would expect from Portland – Bad teams beat good teams in the NBA all the time. But I still look at that game and go, you should have had this under control much sooner. I mean, we talked about it. They shot absolutely atrocious from three. So let's say they knocked down the threes that they would have taken or they would have made regularly. The game's probably pretty well in hand. So, like I said, I put it into the bad win column because Phoenix is so bad. But I take solace in, in how Damian Lillard took over the game 
and and how what what that can mean for the, like his hot hand right now kind of going forward. Does that make sense? I would yeah, I would call it a not bad win. Um because here's why. They it's not it's it not good though, right? It's, it's it wasn't like right. even no, for I you. I, like I no, know you I don't like call the it scale. a good win, but I, I would call it a not bad win because they got like it together that. when they had to. I like that. Okay, good. Because the you know Damian Lillard had this fantastic finish to that mm-hmm. game, but he wouldn't have been able to do all the things that he was doing if the other guys hadn't done their part as well. Yeah. Um, and we can argue about whether or not they should have done it before, but you know, causing repeated turnovers. Cause you know how I am when I watch a game and I'm like, you know, okay, um, you know, it's 15, get it, just get it to 10. It's and kind of funny that as you said thing. that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually thought about that. I was, just, I'm sitting there at the table at dinner and I think there was Four forty-six remaining. I want to say it was a seven or eight-point game. And she's like, "My girlfriend's sitting next to me, and she's like, do you think this game's over?'" And I, I it, it was the weirdest feeling. I looked at her, I'm like, 99 percent of the time, I'd say yes, but something doesn't feel like like this one's over." I'm like, if they score right here, and I think it was CJ, it was CJ or Dame hit a pull-up mid-range jumper, tough shot, and I go, "All right, two stops in a row, and they've 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 got a chance. They got two stops in a row." And I kind of perked up in my seat, and I'm like. Holy crap, they might actually do this. <laughs> and then Dame got hot. Four minutes to go down by seven, you didn't think they had a chance. Dan, what is the matter with you? The, the way, Come on. It was the way they were playing because they were shooting so terribly at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that was the point where they started getting those turnovers, and that was yep, where I was saying exactly. you've got to get the stop, and then you got to get the bucket. And that's my other mantra in situations like that. Get it to 15, get it to 10, get yep. it to 5, get the shot, and get, or get the bucket, and get the stop. Get it the just bucket so happens and get the stop. that... Most and of the time, they pulled you, it out, and they were able to do it. Yeah, but see, you 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 go with that even when there's absolutely no hope of it even happening. <laughs> you know what? You channel, sat, you channel I, that when it's hey, just get it to twenty when they're down twenty nine. I I don't I don't subscribe to that. I sat through all those games in the early nineties where down by twenty and Terry Porter had the ball and they could come back. And I sat through all of those Joey Harrington duck games where they would be down by four touchdowns and he in the fourth quarter would somehow manage to bring them back. And to me, those are the most exciting games, and that's what I'm watching. For. I mean, I don't want them to get in a hole every game. But well, it just so happens that they're willing to do that for you, Tara. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I want to happen. Boy, do so I have do the franchise have... for you. <laughs> See, it's a perfect fit. It's a match made in heaven. So, what do we have to look forward to um, in coming up the next week? What are going to be the gloom key? and despair? What's the successful? <laughs> oh, then you're in your happy place. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm actually what, in a very happy place because need to do to be successful. The not next only week. do we have a Kings game, the Kings game is Blazers Edge night. Hey, so we'll have 2,300 screaming, happy, thrilled, stoked kids who will get to enjoy a game. Um, Sacramento. Remember last time Portland played them, gave them an absolute fits. Yeah, they got they got some young talent. They're not particularly organized or deep, but they they, they have some. They, they make some life players they make play. life miserable. They're really good mm-hmm. at that. Um, mm-hmm. Bogdanovich is a heck of a player. Fox is is, is starting to show some things. Willie Cauley Stein has been a thorn in Portland's side the last couple of times they've matched up. Um, I think it's a game that Portland has to win. I think mm-hmm. we're getting to the point where if we're talking, if if you're seriously considering talking about home court and playoff positioning and stuff like this, the whole quote unquote must win 
th- those are a real thing. Like you yeah. must win against Phoenix. You must win this against Sacramento. This is a Sacramento. win the one you should. Yeah, yeah. You must win against the Lakers. You must win against the Knicks. Um, what else do we have? You must win against the Grizzlies and you must win yeah, against we- the Mavericks. Those are your must wins to close the year. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to have one of those, couple... yeah, they got some stupidly difficult games in there. They got, so, some, hard, they got some tough ones coming up. Yeah, this is, this the, is the beginning uh, of the, the Timberwolves? stretch. <laughs> Which one's first, OKC or the Timberwolves? It's, so it's, so it's uh, Sacramento, they, they, Minnesota, they have the Timberwolves, and OKC. Then they have OKC. And then you get the little, the little puff piece. You get at Los Angeles, then you come back home for the Knicks. So you get Lakers-Knicks back-to-back. That, that's legitimately a back-to-back. So that one sucks because you get L.A. nightlife um, uh-huh. on a, over a weekend and then come back home not against our, Not our boys. Yeah, the yeah, Portland no. Blazers they are going to they definitely um, don't go, out. go to sleep early, uh-huh. and they're going to have juice and fresh fruit juice smoothies, and they are going to be ready to go. I have never seen the Evan Turner Lakers. pop up on Instagram I want to ask you a question about the Timberwolves, though, without <laughs> Jimmy Butler. They one of the things that I find so frightening about the Minnesota Timberwolves is their length. And while Jimmy Butler is tall, I don't think he's the scariest in terms of length on that team. Do you think that the loss of Jimmy Butler in the specific matchup with Portland is going to be tough for them? Were they without yeah. him last time they played? I think he they was were, in a so suit last time. time yeah, but I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, it's a still a tough matchup. Yeah, for Portland, it's stupidly difficult because they've got Wiggins They're and so Jimmy, and they can't. Mm-hmm. Portland doesn't like you. Carl you you, you, you put <laughs> CJ on Wiggins or Jimmy. That's just not a matchup physically that you want to be. It's not a position you want to be in. Well, they're not going to have Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I know, but so, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, like from that point of view, it's kind of like ah. So when they don't have Jimmy, you're kind of like, hey, I can. This is like Jamal Crawford. Well, he's longer than some guys as far as like wingspan go, but he's not a very big or over or really fast or physical player anymore. Um, and I don't think he's going to enjoy chasing CJ around the court for 36 minutes a night. So that's a that's obviously a matchup that swings back in Portland's favor. Uh, but Wiggins is still a guy that I mean he's he's been a thorn in Portland's side. Carl Anthony Towns is definitely a problem. Um, I think so we're going to have it's, engaged. It's, no, yeah. he's going to go out there. He's going to he's going to give Cat a hard time. I think Cat is somebody slap the cat around that that yeah that Nurkic feels like he can uh, control. I think. You know, if he's if he's got if got if he comes in with the right mindset, the problem is, is when when establishes Kat goes that right at the beginning. That that's the problem is when what? cat when when cat goes out goes outside, like when when Anthony Towns it, oh, okay. it sits on the perimeter and pulls Nurkic out, which they they are want okay. to do. They will because Taj can sit and hit that elbow uh, jumper. He can stand outside and pull Nurkic completely out of the paint, and that's when Butler was just killing the Blazers. Uh-huh. Uh, Wiggins is the same way. You give them that much more room to attack with, um, and yeah. So that, how does Portland difficult. counter that? Uh, what should we look for for Portland to counter that? It really, it's it's dependent on Nurkic and and Stotts and how they want to cover it. They can allow the switch to happen and try to pre-switch or 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 send help early. Stotts has shown that he's not totally against sending a double. Um, you know, at the elbow or in the post. Um, obviously, doubling on the perimeter on a tall player is difficult because they still have the passing lanes to to, to make a play there. So, 
um, there's there's a lot at stake for how they want to operate or, or what they could possibly do. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's the constant question that that goes on between you know new school centers and and you know mm-hmm. the the lean athletic sinewy yeah. freaks <laughs> the ectomorphs and the endomorphs I think is what it is you know the difference mm-hmm. between the Nurkic's and the and the and the Carl Anthony Townsends um, so um, we'll we'll kind of see how that works out and OKC I mean. That's At always a disaster point, piece. OKC is going to figure out how to. I mean, because we've the Portland Trailblazers have just gotten under their skin for well, so many un, games. Under, under Westbrook, I'm just skin. always afraid OKC is like, going to figure it out. Like Westbrook yeah. has had some of these ridiculous nights, like some of the most obscene box score numbers you, that, that you could possibly put up, and yet the team still loses because he'll inexplicably jack up some of the worst shots you could ever possibly imagine throw passes that make no sense, you know, have turnovers occur that just are absolutely crazy. And you're just sitting like, huh, he's going to melt down again. And it has happened plenty of times over the last mm-hmm. couple of games. So to see, I mean, Portland's like what three and zero in the last three games. Nurkic to me has been the unsung hero in those games. Um, I was talking with some OKC uh, media folks the other day, because we were kind of previewing this game for those guys. And when I looked at it, look at Nurkic's numbers. I'm like, he's damn near averaging like 18 and 10 against uh, OKC over his last three games, and all three oh, games nice. are wins. So to how many foul? I, I see. I hadn't got that for you. I, I hadn't used your I research method. So okay, yeah. you can get back to me on that. I'll, I'll have to do that. <laughs> well, it's definitely uh, it's gonna the end. The week is gonna uh, end with a couple of tough games, uh, but. The Blazers' edge night against the Sacramento Kings should be a really fun affair, and hopefully the Blazers will know that they're going to have a lot of VIPs in the audience that they need to put on a really big show for. Um, and this is also the uh, the beginning of the Blazers. They have a lot of home games here for the rest of the, yeah, uh, rest one, of the season. Two, so hopefully five, they've gotten nine, rid of the, whatever difficulties. Yeah, hopefully they've gotten rid of whatever difficulties they were having in December with the road game. But, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm feeling pretty positive. Like things are going in. Should I not be saying this out loud? But I feel like, I feel like uh, a few key players have tapped into something that was more elusive earlier in the year, specifically Nurkic and Harkless. And that seems to be encouraging. And I think Damian Lillard has also, like you've said, you know, been playing in an otherworldly fashion. So mm-hmm. I think things are looking up for this team. I don't know. You would, would you admit that? Yeah, I think they're looking better and it's not just them. It's mostly based on Damian and then some, other circumstances that they can't impact, obviously, like injuries around specifically in the division and guys that they're fighting against. I mean, we got all the way through the podcast, basically, and, we, we, and we're just now talking about Kawhi Leonard, who's still not playing and may not play for the rest of the season. So, um, and, and that's certainly going to impact San Antonio down the stretch run and every other team involved. So, um, yeah, it's this is just a weird, wonky season. And in, in the end, it's all going to be moot because Golden State or, or uh, Houston are going to come out Houston? of the West. Are going to come out of the West. Well, so, With, re- with re- regard to uh, Kawhi Leonard, 
Um, I mean, they like basically haven't had them all year. So why does everybody think they're suddenly gonna just fall apart now? I mean, it's San Antonio. Like, I don't think they're gonna fall apart, understand. but I think they're not they're not bulletproof. And trust me, here here's how wild this. I mean, if you want to talk about hot takes, I would rather play the Houston Rockets in the playoffs than the San Antonio Spurs, because I I trust Greg Popovich more than I trust James Harden or Chris Paul in the playoffs. Um, hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting one. I don't I don't know where I don't know how I, where I fall in that as, one. As great as one. Harden and Chris Paul are. When I think of some of the biggest playoff choke jobs I've seen in my entire life, James Harden takes up like three of the first five. Yeah, including the All-Star game. <laughs> <laughs> like if there's a big moment for him to fall apart in, he will gladly oblige. Mm-hmm. Right, so. right. Well, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because nothing, we can't take anything <laughs> yeah. for granted. And given how close the Western Conference is right now, yeah, I don't one missed up and things can, can fall apart. Right. So, I mean, I'm still on the, man, I hope we can, hope they make it into the playoffs. I don't blame <laughs> you. I don't blame you one It's bit. a razor thin. It's a razor thin edge. Um, Would you say that they're on the Blazers edge? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where that came from. You just getting that now? hey <laughs> Oh, God. It's been a long day. I know, I know. We had to we had to wrap it up because we got a, a busy couple of days coming. We got some uh, Blazers Edge business coming up the next couple of days. It's going to be yeah, exciting. I know. I'm going to see all of you gonna for be like multiple days in a I row. Know. We're going to see each other face to face. Try not to drive everybody crazy. Uh, why don't you take us out of here, Dan? All Great right. To talk to you tonight. Yes, as you two as always. Tara, Tara, let everybody know where they can find you. I am at TCB Biggs on Twitter, and that's mainly where I hang out, especially during the games. So please uh, follow, find me, follow, and join in all the fun. Yeah, excellent stuff as always. She's very uplifting during the games. Where me, I'm, uh, I, I'm <laughs> occupying a place in everyone's heart that Mike Rice has left. Um, <laughs> you can find pretty, me. Pretty big fan. Yes, exactly. I, I, I'm the angry drunk uncle, apparently, at times. Um, I am on Twitter, at DMarang, on Instagram, at DMarang, and also I am Danny Morang, my alter ego, on Blazers Outsiders, on NBC Sports Northwest, at 7 p.m. on non-Blazers Game Nights, where, thank God, we have basketball again, because if I had to do one more random <laughs> evergreen episode <laughs> with no new content, I was going to lose my mind. It's so (laughs) difficult to do. Hey, let's make up something to talk about because the Blazers aren't playing for two weeks. There was a lot of talk about hair and fashion. Oh, (laughs) there was so much hair and fashion and fashionable hair. We we talked about Brandon Rush two nights in a row. Who knew that was possible? Anyways. We didn't even touch on him. Well, next time, Exactly. So that's how much stuff we have to talk about now, which is great, and I love it. Uh, for Tara, I'm Dan, also Danny. Uh, make sure you find us on iTunes, rate, subscribe, uh, leave a review. All that stuff is huge. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and do it all Are you talking about yourself in the royal second person now? Find us, you and Danny? Well, I was like talking about, you're talking about you, and, you, and, you and I. Danny, Danny's a different person. It sounded like find me and Danny. No, 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 no. Danny, I'm talking about you and you and I, Tara. Danny is, is on his own thing. Danny's over at NBC. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, subscribe, find us on Almighty Baller Podcast Network, on iTunes, on Stitcher, everywhere else for your podcast needs. For Team Mom, Hair Bone, Biggs, I am Dan Morang, and we'll catch you next time.